0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com.
1: This morning's passage is Genesis 29, verse 31 through Genesis 30, verse 24. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then, then he said, I'm sorry. Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night and god listened to leah and she conceived and bore jacob a fifth son leah said god has given me my wages because i gave my servant to my husband so she called his name issachar and leah conceived again and she bore jacob a sixth son then leah said god has endowed me with a good endowment now my husband will honor me because i have borne him six sons so she called his name zebulun Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name dinah then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son, and said, "God has taken away my reproach." And she called his name Joseph, saying, "May the Lord add to me another son."
0: So we've been going through uh, the sermon series on the life of Jacob, and today's sermon is titled "What We Really Want." Um. To catch everyone up to speed, so we've been doing this for a month or two. Uh, so Jacob is this guy. He had a father named Esau. He had a brother named No. He had a father named J- Isaac. He had a brother named Esau. And um, there was a scene earlier that uh, he plays his family by pretending to be his brother Esau, and he steals a blessing from Isaac. And then later he goes on the run. People are trying to kill him. He goes on the run, and he meets a woman. He falls in love with named Rachel. And Rachel has a sister named Leah, and Rachel has a father named Laban. And, uh, and he agrees to work for Laban for seven years. And then a very similar thing happens. Uh, Leah pretends to be her sister, Rachel, and together Laban and Leah deceive uh, Jacob. And so uh, we talked about that last week on Jacob's wedding night. Uh, the deceiver, Jacob, is deceived. And it's an ironic sequence of events because Jacob got this taste of his own medicine. Um, He had played his father, you know, stolen his father's blessing, and now Laban plays him, steals his wife. Uh, But Jacob, uh, but Laban agrees, you can have Rachel as well, just work another seven years. So Jacob is stuck in this relationship now where he has two wives, and uh, he is working for Laban a total of 14 years. Now, some of you, who may be unfamiliar with the Bible, you may hear this passage, you may go, so let me get this straight. So Jacob has two wives. Is, is, that, is that okay? Is that not okay? Like, what does what the deal with that? And so I just want to clear something up real quick. In the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, there are a lot of stories, and it's important to understand how these stories work, how narrative in the Bible works. Um, most of the time, uh, when things happen that are either good or bad, it's not like there's a moral commentator, not like the author is providing moral commentary saying, so this happened. Jacob had two wives. That is bad. And now you know it's bad. It, it almost never happens that way. A lot of times these narratives, they just you just read as you read them, and there is very little comments from the author's perspective, whether this was a good decision, whether this was, this was a bad decision. Um, but one of the ways you can tell is uh, these people, and sometimes they're protagonists. Sometimes they're like the main characters of the story. Sometimes they do these things And as a result, there are a lot of negative consequences as a result of that decision. And so you can look at that, and you can see, because there are these negative consequences, this is probably not a good decision. And I think one of the reasons why the Bible in in these narrative sections is written like that is because our lives are like that. You know, when we go living day to day, when we make wrong decisions, most of the time, it's not like an angel of the Lord shows up you know, and says, you did this, and this was wrong, and now you know. That's usually not what happens. Usually, usually what happens is you make a wrong decision, and then you just sort of bear the negative consequences of it, or other people bear the negative consequences of it, and, and you realize, oh, that was a wrong decision. And sometimes narrative in the Bible is sort of like that. Uh, the author simply describes what happens, and we're supposed to judge what is right or wrong based off of uh, seeing the, the effects, the consequences of those actions. And so, yes, um, I want to affirm just to clear things up, polygamy is uh, wrong, okay, so don't do that. Um, but uh, many of you, you might approach this passage and you might say something like, oh, polygamy is wrong, okay, uh, I wasn't planning on doing that anyway, so now I know, uh, done with this passage, on to the next passage. And I would say that is not, a, that That would be a very simplistic way of viewing this passage, and that's not uh, how I think we should read this passage, because uh, when we're reading the Bible, especially biblical narrative, um, especially passages that are kind of foreign and archaic to us, I think it's important to ask these two questions, okay? First off, what can I learn about myself? Number two, what can I learn about God? So what can I learn my, about myself? We're supposed to read these stories, sort of like a mirror that reflects our lives. Um, and we're supposed to ask, how do I relate to these characters? Maybe I don't struggle with polygamy necessarily, but uh, what? how do I relate to what is going on here? Uh, what is this... What about the story is similar to my story? And then secondly, what can I learn about God? How does God behave in this passage? And how can I learn about God's character as a result of uh, how he behaves in this passage? So that's what we're going to do today. We're, we're going to dive in. Um, we're going to be reading Genesis 29, starting from verse 30, which is, I'm going to rewind one verse because uh, this will help to provide some context. 29, 30 to 31. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So um, what is going on is Jacob is married to these two women, and obviously he loves Rachel more than Leah. He worked seven years for Rachel. It was just a few days to her, so he loves her a lot. And Leah, in his mind, was just this woman he got stuck with, And so he loves Rachel more than Leah. And this word hated doesn't necessarily mean that people are antagonistically trying to, you know, kill her or bring about her downfall. It's just in comparison to Rachel, Leah is not loved. There's such a drastic difference in the favoritism and the love of this relationship that's as if she was hated. And, um, and I love that God shows up here. It says the Lord saw that Leah was hated because in last week's passage, God was visibly absent. When we talked about this whole story about Jacob running into uh, Rachel, uh, Rachel introducing him to her father Laban, he agreeing to work seven years, that whole passage, God didn't show up, uh, at least on the surface. But here we see that God was there the whole time, and it shows that God uh, w- loved Leah. He saw Leah, and he loved her so much that he allowed Leah to give birth to children. And, um, so imagine Leah right now, okay? Um, her own father. Get this. Her own father used her as a pawn in order to get seven years of labor out of Jacob. So she must not feel very loved by her father. Um, and then Jacob. The the situation with Jacob. She must not feel loved by Jacob either. Obviously, because Jacob is in love with Rachel, her own sister, and uh, and obviously she's probably not very loved by Rachel because I mean. She's married to her sister's husband. So, I mean, if you were married to your sister's husband, you, don't, you probably don't like your sister very much. Actually, it's kind of an interesting, fun fact. I know this firsthand because—thirdhand, uh, I would say. <laughs> thirdhand. Uh, because my grandfather had multiple wives. Uh, he grew up in rural China, and this was a thing back then. Very odd for us to think about in modern America. But my grandfather grew up in rural China 70 years ago, and he had three wives— and two of the wives were actually sisters. Fun fact, okay? And so my grandmother uh, was married to a man who was also married to her sister. Um, so that was, and, and, I, and so I know, you know, from my grandmother's experience, and my grandmother did not get along with her sister, and who knows why. Um, as Taylor Swift says, now we got bad blood. And so that happened with my grandmother. That probably happened with Leah and Rachel. Um, so, so Leah has, just imagine Leah. Okay, so all these people in her family don't love her. Her father doesn't love her. Her husband doesn't love her. Her sister doesn't love her. But here we see in verse 31 that God notices and loves the unloved. God loves Leah so much he opens up her womb and gives her children. And, 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 and here's, this, here's the first way we can read in the story and see this as a mirror to our own lives. Maybe some of you are in situations when you, in, in which you don't feel loved. Maybe some of you are in situations where you don't feel loved, you don't feel seen, you don't feel known, you feel alone, you feel very much like Leah in the story. And if that's you, I want you to know that God loves you, that God sees you, God notices you, God cares for you. However, Leah, like many of us, uh, she is not content with the love of God. And you see that because... Uh, in the passage we read earlier, every time Leah names a child, she bears four children in a row. She's up 4-0 you know, in this childbearing competition. But she, she is, she is uh, bearing these children. Every time she bears a child, uh, she is thinking about her relationship with her husband. She's saying, okay, now I bear this child, so I'm going to name this child Uh, And and all these Hebrew names, I'm not going into detail, but all these Hebrew names are feelings she has in regards to her current situation. She's like, I bore this child, now my, my husband will love me. Or I bore this child, now my husband will be attached to me. And so her whole time she is preoccupied by her desire for her husband to love her. And it's so sad because no matter how many kids she has, Jacob never truly loves her. Um, but that's Leah. I want to move on. Let's read about Rachel starting. I'm going to skip down to 30, verses 1 and 2. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So here, Rachel has the opposite problem. It's very interesting. She has the opposite problem. So Leah uh, doesn't have the love of her husband, but she has children. But Rachel does have the love of her husband, but she doesn't have children. And no matter how badly she wants children, she she remains barren. And so she is now filled up with this envy. And she even says with such strong language, Give me children or I will die. She feels as if her life is meaningless because she doesn't have children. That this desire, her her identity as a mother or her, her desire for an identity as a mother is so strong, so important to her that life is not worth living otherwise. And so that's how she feels. And it's a funny thing how this human heart works because uh, what we have is often overshadowed by what we don't have. What we have is often overshadowed by what we don't have. We're always so controlled by the things we don't have. And so Leah has children, but they mean nothing to her because what she really wants is a loving husband. And Rachel has a loving husband, but it, it means nothing to her because what she really wants is to have children, and they're comparing themselves to one another, and they're seeing, I have this, but I don't have what you have. So that's what I want. Um, But aren't we all the same too? We may look at Leah and Rachel we may think these people are ridiculous. You know, just count your blessings. But we are the same way. We're the exact same way. We have so many blessings. We have so many things that God has given us. But what is our tendency? To be discontent. To say, oh, this person has this thing that I don't want, and so I want that thing. And we're the same way. We naturally care more about the things we don't have than the things we do have. We naturally are oriented with discontentment and envy. And we'll come back to this idea, but let's keep going. Genesis, starting from verse 3, uh, Rachel asks her servant Bilha, and this servant in this context is more of a slave, but, you know, so this is also a wrong thing. Don't have slaves. Okay, and so uh, Rachel has this servant named Bilha, and uh, and. Rachel basically asks her slave to become a surrogate mother for her. And so she does. And it's interesting because um, uh, 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 Jacob's grandfather, uh, Abraham, also did a very similar thing. If you just read back a few chapters, Abraham had a wife named Sarah, and Sarah was barren. And so Sarah uh, asks uh, Abraham to sleep with her servant, Hagar. And he does, and they have children. And so the narrative back then, it's clear if you read the effects and consequences of those actions, that was a bad decision. And same here, I would say it's the same thing. It's a bad decision. It's like this polygamy thing. The the narrator doesn't give moral commentary saying this is bad, but if you read the context, you look at the consequences, it's clearly a wrong thing. But anyways, Jacob does this. Bilhah has two sons, and then Leah does sees this, and she goes, "Oh, if you want to do it that way, I'm going to do it this way too." So she has a servant and gives her servant to Jacob, and. Uh, In verse 9 to 13, uh, Zilpah, Leah's servant, also has two sons. Um, I'm going to say a quick word to men in this room uh, because you might look at this and you might say, man, these women, they're messed up. But I would say Jacob, the man, is just as much to blame, if not more. Um, Throughout history, and I looked at the stats. I googled this online yesterday just to confirm this. Throughout history, men have cheated on their wives much more than women have cheated on their husbands. In the past, it was men were significantly more likely to cheat on their wives than women. And now men are moderately more likely so but either case, they're more likely to cheat on their wives than women are. And, um, and it's clearly a bad thing. Um, but I want to say for a lot of us in this room, we identify as men who don't cheat on their wives. And so we look at other men who cheat on their wives and we say, that's bad. You're a horrible person. I'm not cheating on my wife. Uh, But I want to say, and this is subjective, but this is just from conversations, my experiences. I would think a lot of men don't cheat on their wives, not out of their commitment to their wives, but out of fear. They don't cheat on their wives, not out of commitment to their marriage, not out of commitment to their wife, but out of fear. And what I mean by that is... They're not it's not because they're living to this ethical standard of marriage, they're saying, This is a beautiful person, I'm marrying this person, I love this person, I'm not gonna cheat my wife. It's because they don't want their spouse to be upset at them. They don't want their spouse to leave them, they don't want any tension, they want harmony, they want for things to be stable, and so they don't want to risk doing anything crazy. And so a lot of men, I would suggest, would be in Jacob's shoes if their wife would come up to them and tell them, Hey, sleep with this woman. And it's not a trap to sleep with this woman. A lot of men would do that at a drop of a hat, I would, I would think. And the reason why is because they're, they're, not sleeping with their, they're not sleeping around because they are afraid of their wives. But if their wives give them permission to do it, they would do that just as, they, just as Jacob would do it. And, and I would say the right thing to do in that context, if, if you're Jacob in that scenario and you want to do the right thing, the right thing would do would be, no, I want to be faithful to you. I love you. I'm faithful to you. I messed up earlier. I'm in, I'm in this marriage with two wives, but that's, you know, that's the past. I, I want to be faithful to you, okay? And so I'm not going to be sleeping around with someone else just because you have a desire that you want to fulfill. I'm going to fight for this marriage even though you're not going to fight for this marriage. And I think that's the right thing to do. And, um, and so Jacob doesn't do that. Um, he doesn't... Uh, uh he doesn't fight for his marriage he lowers his his bar for marriage to match the bar that rachel has for their marriage and that's not the right thing he passively gives in sleeps with two other women and so if you're a man here my word for you is to be faithful to your spouse not because you're afraid anything will happen if you're not not because if you're afraid of the consequences of otherwise but because you love your spouse you're committed to your marriage not because you're committed to your own security anyways back to the story it's bad enough Jacob is married to two sisters. Now we have this household where Jacob is married to two women, and he is sleeping with two other women who live in the same household. So that's a recipe for disaster. Don't do that. Okay. But it gets worse. Okay? Chapter, 30, uh, chapter 30, starting from verse 14, I'm going to read this. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field. And so to give you some context, a mandrake is, a, is this rare plant that uh, was around in this area and superstitiously, people would use this to arouse certain desires and produce f- fertility. That's what they thought. This plant had uh, an ability to give women fertility. So, Reuben found this, and Reuben knows probably he's a kid at the time, but he knows his mom is uh, is having is having this childbearing competition with Rachel. So he gives this to Leah, and uh, then Re- and, and Rachel sees this, and she goes. Uh, then Rachel said to Leah, "Please give me some of your son's mandrakes." So Rachel's thinking, I'm barren, you already have four sons, okay? I mean, you don't need any more, I'm barren, so give me those mandrakes. Um, I'm willing to do anything to get pregnant, but Leah says to her, verse 15, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? So obviously, as we mentioned this bad blood, Leah's not just going to give away these mandrakes to Rachel because she's so upset at Rachel because Rachel uh, has the love of her husband, uh, so Rachel offers a deal. Rachel says, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Verse 16, When Rachel came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And so this is, this is crazy, okay? Think about how crazy this is. So there's a few things that's going on. First off, Rachel is offering Leah a chance to sleep with her husband in exchange for a plant. Okay? <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost as if Rachel is selling her husband's sexual availability to her husband's own wife. And, um, and, and, and what's crazy about this is you, you just think about how this you know, relationship has become. Intercourse in this family is no longer about intimacy no longer about relationship, no longer about love. It's turned into a transaction. Just as Laban earlier saw Jacob not as a person, not as a family member, he saw him as a means to get what he wants. So now Rachel sees Jacob in the same way. She doesn't see Jacob as a person, as a husband, as a family member. She sees him now as a means to get what she wants. And she's even willing to allow her archenemy sister to sleep with Jacob just so that she can have these plants in the hope that these plants will superstitiously get her pregnant. She's so desperate to have children, she's willing to do whatever it takes even to get her servant to sleep with Jacob, even to get Leah to sleep with Jacob. She wants to do whatever it takes to have children. But here's the second thing that's even more sad about the story, which is Leah's side of things. The fact that Leah is so willing to go along with this plan just shows how desperate she is for love. She's so desperate just for one night with Jacob that she's willing to give up give up this plan. And, um, I mean, there's, we don't know the context here, but, I mean, it, it could be that she hasn't been in bed with her husband for years. Um, it could be that Jacob and, and, and Rachel, they're trying so hard to have kids, and they love one another, and Leah's just... Isolated from the marriage bed. It just shows just how unequal this marriage relationship is. And Leah is so desperate for her husband's love that she says yes. She says yes. Because she realizes Jacob will never sleep with her out of his own free will. The only way he sleeps with her is if she hires him. And it's such a sad story Because uh, Leah desperately wants her husband's love, and Rachel desperately wants children, and they're trying to do whatever it takes to desperately get what they want. They're willing to manipulate other people, willing to give away prized possessions, willing to compromise their ethics to get what they want. And I want to encourage you to use this story as a mirror for your own life and to ask yourself this question What is it that you really want? What do you really want? What do you want that you don't have? What is it that makes you discontent or envious? What is it that makes you feel, I want this, and if I don't have this, I will die? Or what is it that makes you want something so much that you're you're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to get it? Maybe some of you literally identify with Leah. The thing you really want is someone who will love you. Maybe some of you identify with Rachel. The thing you really want is to have children. Maybe it's something else for others of you. Maybe just the, the thing you really want is a job, the job of your dreams. Maybe for some of you, the thing you really want is money. You want financial security. Maybe for some of you, the thing you really want is you have some sickness, some ailment, and you want healing. Maybe for some of you, you have a broken relationship in your life, and the thing you really want is reconciliation. Maybe some of you, you're addicted to something, maybe some sort of substance, and the thing you really want is that fix. The thing that will get you that fix. To distract you and to numb your pain. But whatever it is, this desperation for this thing that you really want has driven you to do things, or is constantly tempting you to do things that you never would have dreamed doing. It's caused you to manipulate other people, it's caused you to give away prized possessions, to make ridiculous sacrifices. This cause you to compromise your ethics. We may look at Leah and Rachel with judgment, but when we examine our hearts, and I'm in this boat too, we're all the same. The details may be different, but the core issue is the same. And the core issue is that our heart is prone to be discontent, to be envious, to want what it doesn't have. And the problem is never that we have it never is that we don't have what we want. Because sometimes we get it, and we, we're not satisfied. The problem is always our hearts. But let's, that's not how the story ends. Let's keep going. Leah has two more sons and a daughter. And, let, and then check out 30, 22 through 24. And then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my approach, reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And I love this line verse 22 that says, God remembered Rachel. Remember in the beginning, we saw God. It says, God saw Leah and opens up her womb. And here, at the end of the sword, we see a similar thing. It says, God remembered Rachel and opened up her womb. It is a valuable lesson in all this, which is that uh, despite the differences between Leah and Rachel, uh, they have one thing in common and that they are both recipients of God's grace. Lee and Rachel, throughout this whole chapter, they spent, they spent their whole... The only thing on their mind was, the, I want what I want, so let me try hard to manipulate the situation to try to get what I want. And here, God reminds them, I will have the ability to give you what you want. It doesn't come with you forcing your slave to sleep with your husband. It doesn't come with you making a deal to get some mandrakes. It comes through the grace of God. That's how you get what you want. So it seems like after a long struggle, uh, Rachel finally got what she wanted. But does she? Notice what happens in verse 24. She calls her son Joseph, which means, may he add. And he says, may the Lord add to me another son. You see, just as soon as Rachel got what she wanted, her mind immediately went to what she didn't have, a second son. She was already thinking about having a second son because one child wasn't enough. And I would propose many of us are the same way. Many of us, we dedicate our whole lives to getting something, and as soon as we get it, we realize it's not enough. We want more. We might think, If I just get this, then I'll be satisfied. If I just get this, I'll be content. If I just get this, then I'll be good. But then we get it and we realize we're not satisfied. We're not content. We're not good. We want more. Because the issue is never about what we don't have. The issue is always about our hearts. God may grant your prayer. You may land that dream job. You may marry that prince charming. You may raise the best kids. You may get that late night fix. But at the end of it all, you may realize it's not enough. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit into another chapter, but much later in Genesis 35, Rachel gets this wish granted too. She actually has a second son. His name is Benjamin, but unfortunately, as she's giving birth to Benjamin, she dies in in childbirth. And it's very ironic because in this chapter we had read Rachel saying, Give me a, a son or I will die. And she actually gets a son and she still dies. In fact, her granted wish was the very cause of her own death. Her desire for a child, that's what she wanted above all else. That wish was granted, and that wish actually caused her own death. And that's like us too as well. The things we chase in life sometimes are the very things that kill us and destroy us. We chase chase after these things thinking they will give us life, and sometimes they give us death. And so what a tragedy the story is. Leah and Rachel, they spend their lives desperately trying to get the things they really want, thinking these things would satisfy them. Leah never gets what she wants. She never gets the love of her husband. Rachel does get what she wants, but eventually the thing that she wants doesn't pan out to what she thought it would be, and it would eventually cause her death. However, the story doesn't end there. As we continue to read later, in this tragic story, we might see uh, a story of failure, of heartache. But this tragic story births the twelve tribes of Israel. Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah become the mothers of twelve sons, and these twelve sons would eventually become the fathers of the twelve tribes, the twelve tribes of Israel. And you might think, and this is something else that's kind of beautiful. You might think that Leah got the short end of the stick. But it was through the lineage of Leah, the unloved wife, that God would bring about heroes like Moses, like David, and ultimately Jesus himself. And here's why the story of Jesus is so amazing. Um, What this story shows is just a little glimpse of history, of human history. Throughout human history, mankind has been filled with selfish people who do whatever it takes to get what they want. That's all people have ever done. And Leah and Rachel were perfect examples of people who were both victims of selfishness and perpetrators of selfishness. They were victims of selfishness because their father used them for personal gain. And they were perpetrators of selfishness because they used their slaves for personal gain. And they used Jacob for personal gain. And all of humanity has been the same. Left and right, we have all taking part in being victims of selfishness and being perpetrators of selfishness. And people do whatever it takes to get what they want and we are hurt in the process. And we do whatever it takes to get what we want and other people are hurt in the process. And that's all humanity has ever known. But Jesus came and he was fundamentally different from everybody else because Jesus never sought personal gain. Normal people do whatever it takes to get what they want. But Jesus, his very mission was to do whatever it took to give away what he had. Jesus lived not by this code of selfishness, but by a code of selflessness. And eventually he gave his whole life away, even death on the cross. Rachel had said in her selfishness, give me what I want or I will die. But Jesus said, I will give you what I want and I will die to give it to you. And here's what's beautiful about it. When Jesus died, he gave the rest of us a chance to actually get what we really wanted this whole time. We may think that what we want, what we really want is love or children or money or success or health, but what we all really want deep down inside is God himself. And when Jesus died for us, he opened up heaven for good and restored us into relationship with God. He gave us what we wanted. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I humbly ask you to consider the story of Christianity, and that is this. We were all designed to give our lives to God But instead, we've chosen to give our lives to other things. We failed to give our lives to God, and we have wanted instead other things. We have chased instead other things. We have given our lives instead to other things. But the good news is that Jesus wanted you, and Jesus chased down you, and Jesus gave his life for you. Or think about it this way. From day one of our lives, we have dedicated our lives to making deals with the world. We think that if we put in our time, if we put in our hard work, if we put in our emotions, then we'll cash in and then we'll truly get what we want. But just like Jacob played his old man Isaac, and just like Laban played Jacob, I want to suggest if that's your story, you are being played by the world. The world is asking for your everything and in, and in place it's offering you nothing. But there's another option, which is come to Jesus. Offer nothing and he will give you everything. In a moment, we'll demonstrate that by coming to the table. And at the communion table, we remember, because we're coming empty-handed, we're not bringing anything coming to the table. We're remembering we're coming to Jesus with nothing, and we're going to get everything. We're going to take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, dip it in the cup, which represents Jesus' blood, and remember that Jesus gave his all for us. And because of that, because he died on the cross, we have been restored to the right relationship with God. We're going to pray, and after we pray, we can spend some time quietly responding to the good news of Jesus in our hearts. And when you're ready, come up either either, line, uh, either aisle, take the communion, remember Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we did absolutely nothing to deserve you, even when we were dead in our sins, Jesus, you died for us. And God, some of us, we need that truth today because many of us, we feel like Leah. We feel unloved, we feel uncared for, we feel used and abused and alone by the world. And rightfully so, because the world has always been playing us. So we thank you for the love of Jesus, that even though while we were ignoring you, you loved us. Even while we were giving away our lives to other things, Jesus gave his life for us. Even while we were desperately looking for what we thought we wanted, Jesus desperately looked for us and he found us because he knew that he was giving us what we needed maybe some of us we feel like rachel we've tried so hard to try to obtain things in this world and many maybe we found it but it's let us down over and over we realize it's not what we thought when we feel empty so may you give us your joy your hope your mission and we find you may we find our everything in you we put this in jesus name amen